add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie A short note for our listeners, just to let you know, this episode was recorded before the coronavirus outbreak. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's episode... We're covering one of the most forgotten about aspects of health, and that's financial health and financial wellness. It causes stress, sleepless nights, all the things that will affect your overall health, yet we don't really look at it a huge amount. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Owen McGee, author of the recently published How to Be Good With Money and presenter of the same TV show. Owen, welcome to the Real Health Podcast. How's it going? Good. Yeah, glad to be here. First time on this show, so let's see how this podcast goes. Well, thank you for coming in. Um, you're big into running and physical fitness. I know that. We're going to chat about that later on in the mm. podcast. But to start with, I want to talk about the health of financial well-being. Mm. You're a financial planner. This is yep. what you help people with. Yep. Tell us about what you see, I suppose, with clients in terms of how their health is affected by poor financial planning. So one of the biggest stressors when it comes to, and it's actually identified as one of the biggest stressors is money. Like people worry about money more than they worry about anything else. I think the second biggest thing is marriage and that type of thing. But money is a big stressor. And it is something, as you said already, that keeps people awake at night. And oftentimes it's the unknown that's the big concern. And if I'm looking at, particularly you can see a lot of dynamics with a couple. So when you're looking at a couple, you've got, oftentimes you've got one member of the couple who worries about the long term and really worries about the long term and worries about, are they going to have money to pay for bread and milk when they retire? And then you've got the other member of the couple, and it doesn't necessarily be male and female, the other member of the couple will be, forget about the long term, let's just live for today and we may never make 60 or 65 or 75 or whatever the age is. And that dynamic can be very difficult within a couple, never mind where you've got the individual who may not be in a couple who can often, depending on the time of day or time of the week or even the time they are with their pay packet in the month, can have both. So you can be have someone who would absolutely be terrified about the long term, but then they're worried about today and tomorrow as well, and they, they're kind of mixing and matching between us. And actually, one of the biggest things you can do is get clarity around it. So once you have a bit of clarity and you understand where you're going, and actually as a financial planner, that's one of the key things that we're trying to do. We're trying to create a long-term financial plan. That means that you've got your long-term financial future looked after so that you can look after, you can enjoy today, not even look after today, but you can enjoy today safe in the knowledge that the long-term is looked after. So if it's a couple, you have both sides of the coin being looked after. But if it's an individual who worries about both, because it tends to be a case, if we have individuals as clients, what tends to be is, is that they have to look worry about both. They have to be concerned about not enjoying today enough and they have to be concerned about the long term because nobody else is there to be the yin and the yang on it. So it is a real stressor. And that's the people, I suppose, who have money, who are okay with money. These are still big stressors for them. But then you've got the people who don't have the money and they're just worried about the day to day. How am I going to get to the end of the week, to the end of the month, whatever the case is. And their money's not stretching as long. Like there's, there's a lot of month left at the end of the pay packet and they're really struggling with that. And that can be a real stress. And sometimes, again, if you bring back to the couple dynamic, 
if one person is carrying all that weight, it can be a real stress on the relationship. It can be a real stress and I'm taking all this responsibility here. You need to take some of the responsibility. And oftentimes when you when you engage with a, a couple like that, what you'll find is, is one of them has actually stuck their head in their sands. Oh, he looks after that or she looks after that. And it's nothing to do with me, but it is. And you need to bring it back on the table. But all of this stuff is much, much better when you've got clarity around it. All of this stuff is much, much better when you communicate about it. And it's the communication and lack of clarity that causes all of these problems. And most things actually can be fixed. Most things. Sometimes you're just in an awful position, but even when you're in an awful position, there's still ways of fixing it. So no matter how bad it may seem, yep. there are ways around it. Yep. And the other thing just to think about is, is it's not even how bad it might seem. Don't think that, like, keeping up with the Joneses is a big problem when it comes to money, right? Don't think just because someone has a nice new car, the house looks lovely, that they don't have just as much stress on their shoulders as as you do if you don't have the big car and the nice house and the big salary. There's a thing called Parkinson's Law, right? And what Parkinson's Law says is if you have an hour to cut the grass, it takes an hour. If you have three hours to cut the grass, it takes three hours. If you make 20 grand a year, you spend 20. If you make 200 grand a year, you spend 200. And I have, and actually I mentioned in the book, I, I have one client at one stage who lost a significant amount of salary. Like they had, a, they're really high earners. They were making a lot of money and the household income dropped by about 200,000 euros. They right. still had about 300,000 euros coming into the house, but they were suffering just as much as someone who had gone from 80 down to 50 grand a year. Like it was a massive, massive impact because their lifestyle has expanded to fill that salary. They have extra things in their life that maybe bigger mortgages, bigger other things. And that stress is just as real. It's harder to feel sorry for them. Don't get me wrong, but it still is a real stressor. And it's something that people really do need to just tackle head on and say, okay, how bad is this actually? And what can I do to fix it? And there is a realisation, I've seen that actually, particularly during the really bad times when people were struggling to pay the mortgage on a month-to-month -month basis and they were engaging with the bank. And there is that point where you're, you're doing everything you can and you're trying to protect your credit rating and you're really trying to stay on top of things. And there's that real breaking point, and I've seen people go through it, just at the point where the realisation hits you that I just can't do no more about this. And I'm going to do whatever I can, and I'm going to do my best, but I'm stopping worrying about it. Now, I've watched clients, and there's that point just before that, that real, I suppose, bottom of the barrel point, where I'd be very worried about clients and clients' mental health at that stage. And it's a bit of a relief for me in those really dark, difficult days when I see them come back and say, you know what, I've done everything I can. I can do no more about this. I, kind of affect them. Like, I'm going to do everything I can and all I can do is my best. Because the other option is, is that they keep extending the stress, extending the stress. They keep sticking their head in the sand and the problem doesn't go away. You have to face it head on and you have to get clarity around what your options are when things are really bad. But the flip side of that is, is when things are really good, you have to get clarity around what the long term looks like as well. So it doesn't matter. And I think that's probably my long winded way of saying money is relative. How much you earn... How, much, how big your problems are relative to you. And it doesn't matter how big a salary or how low a salary or how much assets you have or how little assets you have. Your problems are your problems and they're 100% your problems. And therefore, it, it can be good to learn from other people, but your problems are the ones that you need to tackle for yourself. And this is, it's an interesting dynamic to get to because 
when we talk about Irish people and talking about money, we don't really talk about it. And really? We don't. Like, if, if you go to the States and you go to a dinner party or whatever it is that you're doing, if you're sitting in the States, people will talk about the, the investment that went really well for them or things that went through. Ireland, we don't talk about it. Like, back in the recession, uh, like, when things were really bad after the global financial crisis, it was kind of cool to be broke and everyone was willing to talk about being broke. And then there was a period where it was like, oh, I'm actually doing all right and I'm not going to tell anyone I'm doing all right. And now we're kind of getting back to the point where restaurants are full again and people, they're not as flamboyant with their money maybe as they might have been in the past, but it's starting to be okay to be doing okay again. Whereas we have had in the last 10 years a really interesting shift from, oh, yeah, I'm broke just like you and just like everybody on the streets is broke and that was cool. And we're com coming back again to, yeah, but we won't talk about our successes the way they will in the States. We won't talk about our failures the way we will in the States. And therefore, things like the TV show, How to Be Good at Money, really help. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking down the street and one of the things I love, I love it when people come to me and say, hiya, how's it going? Like the show, really enjoyed it. Can I just ask you? Because that's us talking about money. To I'm a randomer at the end of the day. And people are very open. Like, they will talk to you about what's going on for them. And I'd be fairly sure they're not talking to a whole pile of other people about it. And for that moment, they're, they're actually identifying and getting clarity and heading on their problem or their good or bad problem, whatever it is in their head at that time, at that moment. And I think we could be a lot better about being open about money. And we're not. We, we really aren't. And that comes with not just being about the successes. There's probably an element of our society who would be happy to talk about the good stuff that they did. Like, I invested in Bitcoin and I made a fortune. Yeah, I know. But like, And then you stuck it in a fishing rod and the fishing... Uh, yeah. The, the, uh, the story of the drug, the drug dealer whose fishing rod went missing when he was in prison and he lost the password for his 52 million Bitcoin. Yeah, did he? Do I'm not sure I believe that, but I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But my point is, is that like, we'll all talk about the Bitcoins and how we did really well on that. But for every one of those stories, there's nine people, uh, there's, for every one, there's nine who have done miserably badly and won't talk about it. And I would absolutely encourage the positive stories if we were getting all the negative ones as well, but we're not. And I think in the States, they're actually a little bit better about mm -hmm. that. They're, uh, they're, and let's not try and be like the States, but I think there's something to be learned from that in terms of you fail in business over there. And it's, yeah, that's kind of a, not a badge of honor, but you know what, you failed the last time. So that means you'll learn better and you'll do better the next time. We don't really have that here. Even when we do well here, when it comes to making money and generating income, doing that, there's still a little bit of asher. He doesn't deserve it or there's a little bit of begrudgery there. And you know what? Maybe we're getting more mature. Maybe we're getting better about it. But a lot of these things still do center back to money. And it comes back to our relationship with money. Some people probably don't feel we deserve it. And if we're doing well, we feel a bit guilty about it. And then some people feel very ashamed because they don't have any of it. And if we were just all a bit more open, a lot of these problems would absolutely disappear, totally disappear. And that's a difficult thing to get your head around because you're trying to shift away from the norm. And if we just all shifted a little bit, it would make an awful, awful big difference to how we feel and interact and how much money impacts our mental health. And that's the reality of it. So I suppose in a nutshell, what I would be saying is, is that money is a huge stressor. A huge stressor because we don't talk enough about it, because we think we are worse or much better than everybody else is. 
and we're not. Everybody has the same stresses, they're just relative to them. And to start to improve that, whether you've got a good bank balance or a bad bank balance, presumably it starts the same. And I know from watching you on the TV show and having a look through the book, there's four key, I suppose, kind of pillars that you, you base everything on. And the first of which is day-to-day expenses mm. and the basics. Yeah. Tell yeah. us a bit more about that. So day-to-day expenses, one of the things I, that people would say to me, if there was one thing I could change about my finances. If I could just do one thing to make everything better, what would it be? That would be become more conscious. And what I mean by that is, and there's a little challenge I would often give people. So I do a lot of corporate speaking and I do, actually was in a transition year students this morning. And the challenge that you'd often throw out there is, is for the next week, every time you spend money, take out your phone, take out the note section and write down, I don't know, like six euro sandwich, whatever it is, right? You write it down. I'm not asking you to change your habits at all. I'm just asking you every single time you spend, write it down. And then a week from now, take out your phone and look at where you spent your money. And what you will find from that is, is that if you were to plan your spending next week, you wouldn't plan it the way you spent it last week. And you'll be surprised by certain things. And one of the things that financial planners or advisors often go after on this is, oh, the coffees. And if you, if you buy a coffee a day, that's 4,000 of income. If you like coffee, spend it on coffee, but do it consciously. Be aware of where your money is going. There are teams and teams and billions of euros spent by marketing departments. And their sole purpose is to get your money out of your pocket, mostly subconsciously. So write down for a week where you've spent your money. At the end of the week, look at that and say, if I was planning my spending next week, is that the way I'd spend? What would I change? What would be different? And you will start to realise that there's stuff that you're just wasting money on. That I don't have a problem with anybody wasting their hard-earned money that they go to work to earn, provided they're spending on stuff that's important to them. But when you do that exercise, what you find is, is you're looking at the phone and you're going, you know what? That actually isn't something that's of any importance to me. It's of no relevance to my life. It doesn't add anything to my life. You know, maybe the first coffee or the second coffee of the day adds a huge amount to your life, but I'm not sure the seventh or eighth or ninth one. That's subconsciously spending. That's habit. And for most people, they don't get anything out of it. But I'm not saying that the coffee is the thing you go after. I'm saying that you make decisions based on the way you want to spend your money. And once you start to become conscious on the little things, the bigger things start to become much more conscious as well. And people often say, oh, I just have so much to tackle with my money. What am I going to do? Tiny, tiny things that make massive impact. And it's no different than you when you're, I'm sure when you're working with private clients with their fitness, tiny things repetitively just keeps going. It's like a food diary. It's the very same thing. Yeah. And it actually, that's a much better example than their fitness. The food diary alone is no different than a budget. Budget is another word when the day-to-day spending. I hate the word budget because budget means you're setting yourself up for failure. What most people do when they set a budget is, is they say, this is the money I'm going to have coming in and this is the money I'm going to spend. And guess what happens then? Life. Life happens and something like the car breaks down or the washing machine goes or whatever. And all of a sudden, your budget's out the window and you're going okay, so I'm a failure. I'm not good at this budgeting stuff. I much prefer to do use, it's a slant on words, but spending rules is a much better way of doing it. And what I would say is never plan for the money that you have coming in. Plan for the money that you have right now. What's in your bank account right now? And I use an example in the book about you've 100 euros on a Friday afternoon and you're hoping to get till Monday. Just take a little drink. Yeah, go for it. You're hoping, you've, you've 100 euros in your bank account on Friday afternoon and you're not getting paid till Monday. Now, you have two choices. You can go through your weekend and hopefully make it to Monday. 
and you can spend on whatever you want. Or you can sit down and say, okay, there's my 100 euros. I know I want to spend 25 euros on diesel. I want to spend 25 euros on a takeaway for the kids. I want to spend 25 euros on swimming on Monday afternoon for the kids and, I don't know, a bit of grocery shopping. Now you've actually given every euro that you own a job. And you know where it's going. Now, if something happens on Saturday, you could get a puncture or whatever else it is. Now you're, instead of just saying, oh sure, I've, if I spend 12 euros fixing the puncture, I have 88 euros left and I'll be grand. Now you're saying, okay, where am I taking the 12 euro from? Am I going to take it from the groceries? Am I going to take it from the, the takeaway for the kids? Where am I taking it? And you're making conscious decisions. And you know what else? You actually feel empowered and controlled about how you're spending your money and you're conscious about where it's going. Because... It's not nameless. It's something that you've given all your money a job to, so now you can start to move it around. There's some lovely other ones that you can really get on the day-to-day spending ones. One of the ones I love is Hick and Click. Have you ever heard of Hick and Click? Brendan Courtney drew drew my attention to Hick and Click. Thursday evenings at 9 o'clock, online shopping is at its highest. And let's just be totally non-2020, year 2020 here. It's mostly women. So they have a little glass of wine, they go, hick, and click. (laughs) So that's what hick and click is. So just be careful of that. And the only way you can negate hick and click is, what's happening is Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, you've had your glass of wine, you're starting to relax, and they're going, I'm going out this weekend and I have nothing for it. And it'll be delivered tomorrow if I order it now. So nine o'clock on a Thursday is shown to be hick and click time. Interestingly, one of the key ways you can stop subconsciously spending or letting the marketing department win is don't save your credit card details, your debit card details on your favourite website. Remember I was giving a presentation to a group of women actually I was talking about click and click and don't save your credit card details. And, and one of them says, oh, no, I don't save my credit card. There's only a couple of sites I save it on. And I said, what sites are they? Oh, just my favorite ones. <laughs> right? that, that's kind of against the per- that's defeating the purpose. Don't save your credit card details to your particularly your favorite sites. Put that little barrier. Make yourself get up off the couch and walk over to your wallet and take your money out. If you know the, your credit card details off the top of your head, it's time to change the credit card. Right. So just be careful about how easy you make it for yourself. We had someone on a TV show, Brendan Courtney and I did a show before How to Be Good at Money called This Crowded House. And we had a girl on that who was big into her online shopping, really enjoyed her online shopping, but also did a lot of in-house shopping, walking into a shop and buying the stuff. And I know it's anecdotal, but this was an interesting because this I would call this girl a professional shopper. Like she had lots of stuff with still had tags on it, right? And it was quite anecdotal, but what she what I found was is there was one shop she really loved. And she shopped online with it and she shopped in store. When she shopped online, she spent three times as much as she did when she did in store. Think about it. You walk into a shop. You walk, you, first of all, you have to get there. And you're thinking, can I, will I, can I, will I, do I want to? Then you walk in, you pick up the item. Yeah, can I, will I, do I want it? Then you're kind of feeling the material. Do I really want it? Then you're going in, maybe trying it on. Then, then you're standing in the queue. And then you get to the top of the queue and you're actually thinking about handing over the money. There's a whole pile of barriers there. Whereas, click, click, and you're done. Like, that's it. So just be try and create some barriers for yourself when it comes to online shopping and spending. Yeah, so, okay, so basics, have a look at it, assess it, track it, and see what, you know, own the purchase, for want of a better yes. word, and consciously own it. Second step then is borrowings and, and, and things that you owe. Yeah, so we call it happy debt. And crappy debt, right? So happy debt is mortgages. Look, look, it's difficult to buy a house if you can get yourself a mortgage and get your deposit together. It's unlikely that you're going to get through life without a mortgage. If you're going to buy a house, get, do it without a mortgage, right? Unless you're getting serious help from somewhere. So mortgages, that's happy debt. That's fine. It's the cheapest debt. 
the really easy way of measuring a, a loan and how expensive it's going to be, the easier it is to get, the higher the expense rate's going to be, the, the APR is going to be, in simple terms. Um, so a mortgage is hard to get, it's going to be the cheapest mortgage, cheapest interest rate you're going to pay. Um, then you start moving on to crappy debt. And crappy debt is one of those words that I always kind of cringe when I say, but I'm, you know what, that describes it. I want people to cringe when they think about personal loans and car loans and credit cards. And, and you know what else? Online shopping, the type of hick and click stuff that you do, that is some of the most expensive shopping you can do from an interest rate point of view. Sometimes it's up at 40, 45% interest. Now, credit cards are around 20 typically. Um, so then you start to come down to personal loans might be down, overdrafts are usually around 15, then you're down to personal loans at 8 and 10%, and then you're right the way down to mortgages, hopefully 2, 3, and 4%. So the really easy stuff to get you're going to get, what you find is, is when people are on that kind of debt treadmill where they've lots of car loans, lots of personal loans, all of that, they really do get caught up. And it's so easy to get more and more of that debt that you can very quickly get caught up in it. I was talking to students this morning, actually, it was, I was in a, a secondary school, I was talking to TY students this morning, and one of the rules I put up with them was spend less than you earn. And that was a day-to-day -day spending. So I always spend less. And they're kind of like, that's kind of stupid, really. How could you spend more than you earn? The reality is that they're 16 years of age. If I brought that group, there was over 100 students in the room, around 100 students in the room. If I brought that group together in 10 years' time, I'd probably fairly fairly accurate when I'd say about 80% of them will have car loans, personal loans, credit cards, maybe a holiday loan. They'll have some source of debt. Getting to mid-20s to late-20s at this stage in the way everything is going in life, most of the time, if you have a bit of savings, you're miles ahead. If you're at zero, you're doing well. Lots of people in the late-20s will have minus 10, minus 20,000, minus 30,000 euros because they can get the debt so easily and they can take it on. And tackling that can be very, very hard. And it can hold you back for years. We had some people in the TV show this year and th that it doubled the time that they're going to take to be able to get a house. They've got three kids. Now, the show worked out okay in the end. It's gone out now, so people can go and look at it in the player if they want, but it worked out okay in the end. But they really have held themselves back in terms of they've accumulated this debt. And do you know what? You need to hate the debt. That was one of the things I found interesting in that show, actually. They had borrowed some money to get married. And it took me a long time to break that down because they were like, oh, no, but we wouldn't change it. Like, we really loved our wedding day. The wedding day and the loan are two separate things. You don't, just because you hate the debt doesn't mean you have to hate your wedding day. Mm -hmm. You still have to, but you have to hate the debt if you're going to actually tackle it. You really need, and that's why I call it crappy debt, because you really have to dislike it or else you're not going to get rid of it. So debt is something that people really get held back on, really easy to get their hands on, and really the only stuff that you can get through, if you can really get through life well, you'll take on a mortgage and you'll have no other debt in your life. And you'll generally find that people who don't take on any other debt, they've learned that from home. So I remember actually one time I was doing a piece on radio and it was myself and um, Kira Kelly, in fact, and there was a, a counsellor on the other side and he was a marriage counsellor. And he said that you generally find that somebody who will marry one of their parents. OK, so you'll marry someone who's similar to one of your parents. And if you're lucky, you'll marry the parent that you liked. Right. So the, and actually, it's the exact same with money. When it comes to money, we will be exactly the same or exactly opposite to our parents. So what you find is, is when it comes particularly stuff like debt, if your parents had to never borrow money for a single thing, you will either never borrow money for a single thing or you will borrow for everything to be the absolute opposite. Unless you take steps and it's all fixable, you can take steps to be different. Okay, well, step three then is um, getting your money to work for you. Yes. 
This is about people making the biggest mistake I ever see. When you start to get ahead of things and you're you're really starting to put money aside, you've become conscious, you've got to the stage where you're putting some aside on a month-to-month basis. There are clients who have a lot of money and they're actually trying to decide what to do. And they use, the biggest mistake they make is they use short-term vehicles for long-term goals. A short-term vehicle is a bank account. If you're going to spend your money in the next five years, you use a bank account. And tough, you're going to get a crap interest rate at the moment, okay? But a long-term goal should use a long-term vehicle. The perfect example of that is child benefit. Most, if people can afford to save the child benefit, what they will do is, is that they will put it aside. They might put it on post or credit union or a bank account. That's a short-term vehicle. That money is not going to beat inflation. And you will lose out financially over the 18-year time period if you're, if you're lucky enough to be able to put the money away for that long. Okay? So when you're looking at that, you're looking at, the, the, we actually had the, the numbers in this. So if you manage to get 1% interest on the child benefit, it'll have 33,000 euros in it at the end of 18 years. That will not get you through three years of college. If you manage to do, use a long-term vehicle, and I'm, without getting too complicated, Carl, what I'm talking about here is, is I'm talking about the standard no-brainer portfolio, as we like to call it, is 60% goes in shares, so you buy the biggest companies in the world. And you buy the Googles and the Facebooks and the Disneys and the Gs. And when we put a portfolio together for a client, you're talking about investing across 13,500 different companies. It's really well spread out. But 60% of your money goes into buying pieces of companies in the, term, in the form of shares. And 40% goes into giving a loan of your money to companies and governments in the forms of bonds. Right, And when you're investing, when you're putting money away for more than five years, the starting point needs to be 60-40, no-brainer portfolio, as I call it. Okay, If you've got 1% per annum in your bank account, if you manage to get 1%, you'll have 33000 if you save the child benefit for 18 years. If you manage to get 4% interest on a 60-40 portfolio, you would have 44000 Now you're starting to hit four years in college. Okay. In the last 18 years, which is a good mixed bag of up and down and all over the place, really, you would have got 48,000 out of a standard one of these. Now, all of those figures ignore tax, but that doesn't matter. The point is still the same. You will not beat inflation using a bank account. A bank account is a short-term vehicle. Don't use it for long-term goals. And that's the biggest mistake people make. Then people say to you, but hold on a second, that, there's huge risk involved there. I can't, I can't, that, that's just too risky and shares and portfolios. And I don't know what I'm talking about. The reality is, if you go and look for 60-40 portfolio of your bank or your financial advisor and they set it up right, there has, in, in the year's time, there's a 25% chance it's going to be down. So what? You don't need it in a year's time. You're not using this for a year's time. In three years' time, there's a 15% chance it's going to be down. In five years' time, there's a 0.4% chance it's going to be down. So there's a 99.6% chance that you're going to have a positive return over any five-year period in the past if you use a 60-40 portfolio. We're talking about five years plus. There has never been a seven-year or more period where a 60-40 portfolio would have lost money for you. Now, you're talking about 18 years for a child's education if you're, if you're lucky enough to be able to put that money away. Now, take that and apply that to someone in their 20s or 30s or 40s or even 50s who's thinking about putting money away for pension. You don't put that into a bank account. You put it into something that's going to beat inflation and you're going to use it over the long term. That's what Section 3 of the book is all about. It's all about making sure that your money is working for you. We also talk about in there about the pensions and how the pensions work because you know what? It's not that complicated. It's it, like everyone remembers, a lot of people, depending on the age you, will remember the SSIAs. Mm-hmm. SSIA was they gave you one euro for every four euro you put in. So that's two euro for every eight. A pension, if you're on the higher rate of tax, will give you four euros for every six euro you put in. So it's a, it's a massive 
boost to your thing and it grows tax-free and so on and so forth but it's really simple it's really straightforward it's made overly complicated to keep pensions people like me in a job that's what it's <laughs> there for but it's simple finally protecting it all yeah so there's no point in building a financial plan that gets you to 100 years of age as we would plan for and then someone dies or somebody gets sick you need to make sure that you're okay financially that you <clears throat> if somebody dies what's going to happen um, there's a there's a video online on YouTube called Why Me Da Isn't Dead. It's a video with me and my dad. And we got about 60,000 hits. Actually, when you go into transition year students, it's a thing that they're most impressed by. But um, he had got income protection from the age of 50 years of age. And he gave up work because he has a bad heart. And because of that, he um, I, I, it's probably why, it's not probably, it is a big reason why I'm in the industry. It, because I've seen the impact of having good protection in place. So the last section talks about what if somebody dies, what covers are, uh, is available, and what if somebody gets sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, now, tell us about the book. Uh, I had planned to ask you all about your marathons and your running and all of that lovely stuff, but to be honest with I you... I kept talking, didn't I? <laughs> and it's when we bring a true expert into the studio, and we have been going for nearly 100 episodes now. I've talked to a lot of people. The difference between someone who is a true expert in their field is when you open them up and let them go, they go and they talk and they fill time. And I, I actually talk very little and it's fantastic. <laughs> so I learned loads myself, which is brilliant. Um, we will bring you back into the studio again, without a doubt. You're engaging to listen to it and your, your passion for what you do is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the book, uh, when is it out and where can people get it? So it's out on the 20th of March. It's going to be all, all bookstores. Um, we are, it'll be out the 20th of March, but if you actually start looking around from that, the earlier on that week, it should be in stores that week. So you'll be able to pick it up. It's at a good price point for someone who's looking to be good with money so it should be okay we're hoping it's going to be very successful it's my first book it was a big task I'm really proud of it I'm genuinely very proud of it a lot went into it and I didn't hold anything back and that I think hopefully the really what I'm hoping here is my private practice is can deal with so many people that's all it can deal with mm -hmm. and the idea of this is that I just like financial people are much better served with good financial planning than without it and what I'm hoping this book will do is is that anybody who picks it up doesn't matter what walk of life you're in that you're going to get something from it and you're going to walk away much better informed at the very least to be able to tackle your finances and to be able to get the most out of them, not just tackle them, but get the most out of them. And that's really what I'm hoping for the book. So it's out on the 20th of March officially, but you'll get it probably the week before that in the bookstores. And I'm um, really looking forward to see how it goes. Well, congratulations on the book. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. And we will definitely, definitely have you back in studio in the near future. No doubt about it whatsoever. Oh, McGee, thank you so much for joining us on the Real Help podcast. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed that and took some simple, effective tips around your finances. And the book is available nationwide as well. As ever, you know where we are at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram any questions uh, or any feedback you know where we are and don't forget to rate and review have a wonderful week apply those tips improve your finances and we shall see you next week Slonga Fo Leia Healthcare looking after you always proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry